0: US healthcare spending continues to rise faster than the overall economy and will continue to do so. Rather than turn to cost controls or insurance companies to rein in the cost of healthcare, the nation's largest doctor group has its own strategies to contain spending and add greater value. Welcome to Inside Healthcare on ReachMD XM Channel 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japsen, the healthcare reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and with me today is Dr. Ronald Davis president of the American Medical Association. Dr. Davis is a preventive medicine specialist from East Lansing, Michigan, who became the 162nd president of the AMA in June of last year. Dr. Davis was first elected to the AMA Board of Trustees in June 2001 and re-elected in June 2005. Dr. Davis has a nationally known track record in public health, having served as the director of the CDC's Office on Smoking and Health from 1987 to 1991, Dr. Davis, welcome to ReachMD. Good to be with you, Bruce. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you because you and I have known each other a long time, and I know that preventive medicine is not only your specialty, but it is your passion. So if you could tell us a little bit about this whole effort and strategy that the AMA has and that you are definitely passionate about, to address rising health care costs, because it seems to me that it's more about education than cost controls.
1: Well, first, it might be worth mentioning some of the causes of rising health care costs, because those then suggest certain solutions. One is pure demographics. Our population is getting older, and older people have more chronic illness. They're more frail, and then that in turn leads to a lot of end-of-life care where we're struggling to keep people alive and spending a huge amount of money sometimes in a rather futile way to give people a couple of extra days or weeks so that's one area that certainly is commanding a lot of attention geographic variations in care especially based on some research from Jack Winberg at Dartmouth and so we have to figure out why do we have three or four or five times the rate of a particular treatment in one locale compared to another. Defensive medicine is imposing a huge burden on uh, healthcare costs because of all the, the tests and procedures that are being done, mainly to protect physicians from this huge liability situation that we have with patients filing more lawsuits and, and juries, providing more mega-awards based in, in many cases on sympathy for the plaintiff rather than any negligence on the part of the doctor. Some services are underused, for example, preventive services that could save a lot of money. And so compliance with the preventive services and the recommendations for healthy lifestyles, for example, is an area that we're looking at. And then there are cases where services are overused, not just for defensive medicine, but for example, we prescribe too many antibiotics, sometimes for viral illnesses where antibiotics don't have any impact. So, those are some of the areas that are responsible for rising healthcare costs that we want to address.
0: Well, Dr. Davis, it seems though the educational aspect is something that is completely amiss in the healthcare system today. I know that in, in a lot of areas where you have uninsured and you have poor Americans. That tend to be less savvy, if you will, about the healthcare system. A lot of times, the healthcare system, whether they be the government Medicaid program or hospitals, whatever, they're not doing enough to educate people. Is even as something as simple as an emergency room and and how it is used.
1: That's absolutely right. And we have a big push now to get people into a medical home, get them to have a primary care physician, whether that's a family physician, an internist, a pediatrician. And that can do so much to improve the quality of care and to reduce unnecessary trips to the emergency room, which are overcrowded and underfunded and and, and which are being asked to deliver a lot of primary care that ought to be delivered in doctors' offices. Generic medications is another example where we need to educate people more, that they don't necessarily have to have the latest Me Too drug that is being hyped in direct-to-consumer advertising, But oftentimes, for example, uh, if they have arthritis and haven't been treated before, well, the tried-and-true aspirin would be a medication that they could begin with rather than going for the most expensive and the latest drug to be introduced into the the marketplace. Speaking of aspirin, it's obviously cheap, and uh, in many cases it's very effective for preventing or treating certain illnesses. A report came out recently from a coalition in Washington called the Partnership for Prevention where they estimated that more than 40,000 lives could be saved each year in the United States if we simply got people onto a baby aspirin a day if they are at higher risk of having a heart attack or dying of coronary heart disease. And only about 40% of the people in that category are taking low-dose aspirin. So that's an example of where, yes, we need more education of the public and of the medical profession, frankly, to achieve compliance, with a very affordable... A very inexpensive and a very cost-effective uh, treatment that is way underutilized.
0: And the interesting thing that you bring up about the education is that the danger of having so many uninsured people is that you basically have, you know, 47 million people who are not seeing their physician regularly, if not once a year, every six months, certainly not at all. And so you have situations where all people do know is the, is the emergency room. You have a huge problem there when you talk about one of the keys to the, AMA's proposal here in reducing the burden of preventable disease.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, I mentioned earlier end-of-life care, and that's another example of where we can do more education, education about advanced directives. And everybody should have advanced directives, along with their will, that lay out what will happen if they become uh, incapacitated, incompetent, and, and or struck with a terminal illness that we really have uh, difficulty or an impossibility in doing anything about certainly those kinds of decisions should not be left to the final days when somebody goes into the hospital and may be incapacitated, and then the burden is on the family to figure out what to do. So that's another another example of where education is needed.
0: Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Inside Healthcare on Reach MD, XM 157 the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, the healthcare reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and with me today is Dr. Ronald Davis, who is a preventive medicine specialist, but he's also the president of the American Medical Association, which has some strategies to address rising health care costs. And we've been talking about some of those. And the interesting thing about the ones we've talked about so far is they don't cost a thing other than aspirin, which costs a few cents. So in carrying on with that theme, doctor, there are a lot of other things out there when you talk about the various aspects and strategies to reduce rising health care costs that don't cost a lot of people a lot of money. And another one that your organization talks about is making healthcare care delivery more efficient.
1: That's right. We have a lot of inefficiencies in our system. We have a lot of fragmentation of care. We have care management programs that are good, for example, in treating people with diabetes or asthma or congestive heart failure, but oftentimes we have a silo approach. To treating these diseases where many people have multiple chronic conditions and yet they're getting separate treatment for separate diseases when many of those diseases actually have similar risk factors, whether those are smoking or obesity or poor diet. So we have burdensome regulations and unfunded mandates from many government agencies. That's another thing that we're trying to address. We have unnecessarily complex procedures for filing insurance claims. So we're trying to have some common sense put into that system. We have insurance industry, insurance company people putting doctors through determination of medical necessity sort of hoops that they must go through, all sorts of regulatory compliance. So it's gotten to the point where doctors are spending more on dealing with regulations and regulators than in delivering care to patients. They spend more time filling out paperwork than talking and treating patients and that's a huge agenda item for us to to, to try and fix or at least ameliorate
0: well, and to that point, when you talk about some of the onerous things that physicians have to deal with with insurance companies and when we talk about you know campaigns to cover the uninsured and so forth, and in this whole effort to address these rising health care costs, the AMA brings up promoting value based decision making at all levels, and if there is a trend to higher deductible health plans and more consumer choice, will that eliminate some of the red tape and some of the hurdles in people having to go through to get access to see their physician?
1: Well, we do support consumer-driven health care. We do support health savings accounts. We have put out our plan for covering the uninsured, which is a consumer-driven marketplace approach that gives tax credits to individuals to allow them to select and purchase and own their own health insurance. So we think that by depending more on the private sector, by putting consumers in charge, by making sure that they are educated, that they choose health plans and doctors that can serve their needs, that all of that is good for health care, good for the health of the patients, and good for the problem of health care costs, rather than relying totally on a government approach which we think is not the way to go. If you look at our Medicare program, it's got huge problems, projected insolvency, wants to cut physician payment by 5% at least every year. We have Medicaid programs that are bankrupting state budgets So we have major problems in government-run or government-funded health care, and so that's why we do not believe that the solution to these problems is is to just
0: hand over everything to government. Well, when you talk about value-based decision-making at all levels, a key area where the health insurance industry and the AMA may agree is in certain proposals to expand Medicare to more people if the program operates as it does now.
1: As you point out, we do call for value-based decision-making at all levels. And that was in a report from our Council on Medical Service that was adopted last June. And I think that's a very important statement. What we're basically saying is that we need to change our way of thinking, given that the healthcare care budget is looked upon by many as a zero-sum game. We're already spending 16% of our gross domestic product on health care. I don't know how much higher it's going to go and so we are already spending a lot more as a percent of GDP than all other countries. I think the next below us is at about 10 percent of GDP, and so we do have to be, I think, uh, in the AMA things, more responsible stewards over healthcare dollars. We need to weigh benefits versus cost. We need to find out what are the most cost-effective treatments and pursue those to a greater degree than we have in the past. The aspirin for preventing heart disease or treating arthritis is an example of that, and that's going to require a lot more research and a lot more dissemination of research on what is cost-effective and what is not. The Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, AHRQ, is doing a lot in this regard. They have a whole initiative that they're embarking on called comparative effectiveness that actually takes treatments and compares them one against the other instead of the historical sort of approach to compare a, a one treatment against placebo, for example. We need to figure out more and more whether treatment A is better than treatment B and whether it is more cost-effective than treatment B.
0: Well, I would like to thank Dr. Ronald Davis, the president of the American Medical Association, who has been our guest. We've been talking about strategies to address rising health care costs. I'm Bruce Japsen of the Chicago Tribune. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions through our website at reachmd.com, which now features our entire medical show library and on-demand podcasts. And I would like to thank you today for listening.